Section 34 of Ulysses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ulysses by James Joyce. Part 2. The Odyssey. Episode 14. Oxen of the Sun. Part 2. Hereupon Punch Costello dinged with his fist upon the board, and would sing a bawdy catch, Stabu Stabella, about a wench that was put in pod of a jolly swashbuckler in Almany, which he did straightways now attack. The first three months she was not well, Stabu, when here Nurse Quigley from the door angrily bid them, Hist, ye should shame you, nor was it not meet, as she remembered them, being her mind was to have all orderly against Lord Andrew came for, because she was jealous that no gastful turmoil might shorten the honor of her guard. It was an ancient and a sad matron of a sedate look and Christian walking, in habit done beseeming her megrims and wrinkled visage, nor did her hortative want of it affect, for incontinently Punch Costello was of them all embraided, and they reclaimed the churl with civil rudeness, some and shaked him with menace of blandishments, others, whiles they all chode with him, a moraine seized the dolt, what a devil he would be at, thou chuff, thou puny, thou gotten peas straw, thou losel, thou chitterling, thou spawn of a rebel, thou dyke dropped, thou abortion thou, to shut up his drunken drool out of that like a curse of God ape, the good Sir Leopold that had for his cognizance the flower of quiet, Margarine gentle, advising also the time's occasion as most sacred and most worthy to be most sacred. In Horn's house, rest should reign. To be short, this passage was scarce by when Master Dixon of Mary in Eccles, goodly grinning, asked young Stephen what was the reason why he had not decided to take friar's vows, and he answered him obedience in the womb, chastity in the tomb, but involuntary poverty all his days. Master Lenahan at this made return that he had heard of those nefarious deeds, and how, as he heard hereof counted, he had besmirched the lily virtue of a confiding female, which was corruption of minors, and they all intershowed it too, waxing merry and toasting to his fathership. But he said very entirely, it was clean contrary to their suppose, for he was the eternal son and ever virgin. Thereat mirth grew in them the more, and they rehearsed to him his curious rite of wedlock for the disrobing and deflowering of spouses, as the priests use in Madagascar Island, she to be in guise of white and saffron, her groom in white and grain, with burning of nard and tapers on a bride-bed while clerks sung kyries, and the anthem ut noviter sexis omnis corporis mysterium, till she was there unmated. He gave them then a much admirable hymen minim by those delicate poets, Master John Fletcher and Master Francis Beaumont, that is in their maid's tragedy that was writ for a like twining of lovers. To bed, to bed was the burden of it to be played with accompanable consent upon the virginals. An exquisite dulcet epithalame was most mollificative suedency for juveniles amatory, whom the odoriferous flambeaux of the paranymphs have escorted to the quadrupedal proscenium of connubial communion. 
"'Well met they were,' said Master Dixon, joyed. "'But harky, young sir, better were they named Beaumont and Letcher, "'for, by my troth, of such a mingling much might come.' "'Young Stephen said, indeed, to his best remembrance, "'they had but the one doxy between them, "'and she of the stews to make shift with in delights amorous, "'for life ran very high in those days, "'and the custom of the country approved with it. "'Greater love than this,' he said, "'no man hath that a man lay down his wife for his friend. Go thou, and do likewise. Thus, or words to that effect, saith Zarathustra, sometimes Regius professor of French letters to the University of Oxtail, nor breathed there ever that man to whom mankind was more beholden. Bring a stranger within thy power, it will go hard, but thou wilt have the second best bed. Orate fratres pro meme tipso and all the people shall say, Amen. Remember, Aaron, thy generations and thy days of old, how thou settedst little by me, and by my word, and broughtedst in a stranger to my gates, to commit fornication in my sight, and to wax fat, and kick like Deshurim. Therefore hast thou sinned against my light, and hast made me, thy Lord, to be the slave of servants. Return, return, clan Milly, forget me not, O Milesian. Why hast thou done this abomination before me, that thou didst spurn me for a merchant of jallops, and didst deny me to the Roman and to the Indian of dark speech, with whom thy daughters did lie luxuriously? Look forth now, my people, upon the land of Behest, even from Horeb and from Nebo, and from Pisgah, and from the horns of Hatton, unto a land flowing with milk and money. But thou hast suckled me with a bitter milk, my moon and my sun thou hast quenched for ever, and thou hast left me alone for ever in the dark ways of my bitterness, and with a kiss of ashes hast thou kissed my mouth. This tenebrosity of the interior, he proceeded to say, hath not been illumined by the wit of the Septuagint, nor so much as mentioned for the Orient from on high, which break hell's gates visited a darkness that was foraneous. Asue faction monerates atrocities, as Tully saith of his darling Stoics, and Hamlet his father showeth the prince no blister of combustion. This adiaphony in the noon of life is an Egypt's plague which in the nights of prenativity and post-mortemity is their most proper ubi and quomodo. And as the ends and ultimates of all things accord in some mean, and measure with their inceptions and originals, that same multiplicit concordance which leads forth growth from birth, accomplishing by a retrogressive metamorphosis that minishing and ablation towards the final, which is agreeable unto nature, so is it with our subsolar being. The aged sisters draw us into life. We wail, batten, sport, clip, clasp, sunder, dwindle, die. Over us dead they bend. First, saved from waters of old Nile, among bulrushes, a bed of faciated wattles. At last the cavity of a mountain, an occulted sepulchre amid the conclamation of the hillcat and the ossifrage. And as no man knows the ubicity of his tumulus, nor to what processes we shall thereby be ushered, nor whether to Tophet or to Edenville in the like way is all hidden, when we would backward see from what region of remoteness 
the whatness of our whoness hath fetched his winceness. Thereto Punch Costello roared out mainly Etienne Chanson, but he loudly bid them, Lo, wisdom hath built herself a house, this vast, majestic, long-established vault, the crystal palace of the Creator, all in apple pie order, a penny for him who finds the pea. Behold the mansion reared by Deedle Jack, see the malt stored in many a refluent sack, in the proud cirque of Jack John's bivouac. A black crack of noise in the street here, alack, bald back. Loud on left Thor thundered, in anger awful the hammer hurler. Come now the storm that hissed his heart, and Master Lynch bade him have a care to flout, and wit wanton as the god self was angered for his hellprate and paganry. And he that had erst challenged to be so doughty waxed wan as they might all mark and shrank together in his pitch that was before so hot uplift was now a sudden quite plucked down and his heart shook within the cage of his breast as he tasted the rumor of that storm then did some mock and some jeer and punch costello fell hard again to his yale which master lenehan vowed he would do after and he was indeed but a word and a blow on any the least color but the braggart boaster cried that an old nobodaddy was in his cups it was much what indifferent and he would not lag behind his lead but this was only to die his desperation as cowed he crouched in horn's hall he drank indeed at one draught to pluck up a heart of any grace for it thundered long rumblingly over all the heavens so that master madden being godly certain wiles knocked him on his ribs upon that crack of doom and master bloom at the braggart's side spoke to him calming words to slumber his great fear advertising how it was no other thing but a hubbub noise that he heard the discharge of fluid from the thunderhead look you having taken place and all of the order of a natural phenomenon but was young bostard's fear vanquished by calmer's words no for he had in his bosom a spike named bitterness which could not by words be done away and was he then neither calm like the one nor godly like the other he was neither as much as he would have liked to be either but could he not have endeavored to have found again as in his youth the bottle holiness that then he lived withal indeed no for grace was not there to find that bottle heard he then in that clap the voice of the god bring forth or what calmer said a hubbub of phenomenon heard why he could not but hear unless he had plugged him up the tube understanding which he had not done for through that tube he saw that he was in the land of phenomenon where he must for a certain one day die as he was like the rest too a passing show and would he not accept to die like the rest and pass away by no means would he though he must nor would he make more shows according as men do with wives which phenomenon has commanded them to do by the book law then wotted he not of that other land which is called believe on me that is the land of promise which behooves to the king delightful and shall be for ever where there is no death and no birth neither wiving nor mothering at which all shall come as many believe on it yes pious had told him of that land and chaste had pointed him to the way 
but the reason was that in the way he fell in with a certain whore of an eye-pleasing exterior, whose name, she said, is Bird in the Hand, and she beguiled him wrong ways from the true path by her flatteries, that she said to him, as, Ho, you pretty man, turn aside hither, and I will show you a brave place. And she lay at him so flatteringly that she had him in her grot, which is named Two in the Bush, or by some learned carnal concupiscence. This was it what all that company that sat there at commons in mans of mothers the most lusted after, and if they met with this whore bird in the hand, which was within all foul plagues, monsters, and a wicked devil, they would strain the last, but they would make at her and know her. For regarding believe on me, they said it was naught else but notion, and they could conceive no thought of it, for, first, two in the bush, whether she ticed them, was the very goodliest grot, and in it were four pillows, on which were four tickets, with these words printed on them, pick-a-back and topsy-turvy and shame-face and cheek-by-jowl, and, second, for that foul plague all-pox, and the monsters they cared not for them, for preservative had given them a stout shield of oxen-gut, and third, that they might take no hurt, neither from offspring that was that wicked devil by virtue of this same shield, which was named Kill-Child. So were they all in their blind fancy, Mr. Cavill and Mr. Sometimes Godly, Mr. Ape Swillale, and Mr. False Franklin, Mr. Dainty Dixon, Young Boasthard, and Mr. Cautious Calmer. Wherein, O wretched company, were ye all deceived, for that was the voice of the God that was in a very grievous rage, that he would presently lift his arm up and spill their souls for their abuses, and their spillings done by them, contrariwise to his word, which forth to bring, brenningly biddeth. So Thursday, 16th June, Patrick Dignam laid in clay of an apoplexy, and after hard drought, please God, reigned a bargeman coming in by water a fifty-mile or thereabout with turf, saying the seed won't sprout, fields a-thirst, very sad-colored and stunk mightily, the quags and toffs too. Hard to breathe, and all the young quicks clean-consumed without sprinkle this long while back, as no man remembered to be without. The rosy buds all gone brown, and spread out blobs, and on the hills naught but dry flag and faggots that would catch at first fire. All the world saying, for aught they knew, the big wind of last February year, that did havoc the land so pitifully, a small thing beside this barrenness. But by and by, as said, this evening after sundown, the wind sitting in the west, biggish swollen clouds to be seen, as the night increased, and the weather-wise pouring up at them, and some sheet lightnings at first and after, past ten of the clock, one great stroke, with a long thunder, and in a brace of shakes, all scamper pell-mell, within door, for the smoking shower, the men making shelter for their straws with a clout or kerchief, women folk skipping off with kirtles catched up soon as the poor came. In Ely Place, Baggett Street, Duke's Lawn, thence through Marion Green up to Hollis Street, a swash of water flowing that was before bone dry, and not one chair or coach or fiacre seen about, but no more crack after that first. Over against the right honorable Mr. Justice Fitzgibbon's door, that is, to sit with Mr. Healy the lawyer upon the college lands, Mal Mulligan, a gentleman's gentleman that had but come from Mr. Moore's the writers, that was a papish, but is now, folk say, a good Williamite, chanced against Alec Bannon in a cut-bob, which are now in with dance-cloaks of Kendall Green, that was new got to town from Mullingar with the stage, where his cuz and Mal M.'s brother will stay a month yet, 
till St. Swithin, and asks what in the earth he does there, he bound home, and he to Andrew Horn's being stayed for to crush a cup of wine, so he said, but would tell him of a skittish heifer, big of her age, and beef to the heel, and all this while poured with rain, and so both together on to Horn's. There Leop Bloom of Crawford's journal, sitting snug with a covey of wags, likely brangling fellows, Dixon June, scholar of My Lady of Mercies, Vin Lynch, a Scots fellow, Will Madden, T. Lenahan, very sad but a racer, he fancied, and Stephen D. Leop Bloom there for a languor he had, but was now better, be having dreamed to-night and a fancy strange of his dame Mrs. Mole, with red slippers on and a pair of turkey trunks, which is thought by those in ken to be for a change, and Mistress Purefoy there, that got in through pleading her belly, and now on the stools, poor body, two days past her term, the midwives sore put to it and can't deliver, she queasy for a bowl of rice slop, that is a shrewd dryer up of the insides, and her breath very heavy more than good, and should be a bully boy from the knocks, they say, but God give her soon issue. Tis her ninth chick to live, I hear, and Lady Day bit off her last chick's nails that was then a twelve-month, and with other three all breastfed that died written out in a fair hand in the king's Bible. Her hub fifty-odd and a Methodist, but takes the sacrament, and is to be seen any fair Sabbath with a pair of his boys off Bullock Harbor, dapping on the sound with a heavy-braked reel, or in a punt he has trailing for flounder and pollock, and catches a fine bag, I hear. In some an infinite great fall of rain, and all refreshed, and will much increase the harvest. Yet those in Ken say, after wind and water, fire shall come for a prognostication of Malachi's almanac. And I hear that Mr. Russell has done a prophetical charm of the same gist out of the Hindustanish for his farmer's gazette, to have three things in all but this a mere fetch without bottom of reason for old crones and bairns, yet sometimes they are found in the right guess with their queerities, no telling how. With this came up Lenahan to the feet of the table to say how the letter was in that night's gazette, and he made a show to find it about him, for he swore with an oath that he had been at pains about it. But on Stephen's persuasion he gave over the search, and was bidden to sit near by, which he did mighty brisk. He was a kind of sport gentleman that went for a merry Andrew or honest pickle, and what belonged of women, horse-flesh, or hot scandal, he had it pat. To tell the truth, he was mean in fortunes, and for the most part hankered about the coffee-houses and low taverns with crimps, ostlers, bookies, Paul's men, runners, flat-caps, waistcoatiers, ladies of the bagno, and other rogues of the game, or with a chanceable catch-pole or a tip-staff, often at nights till broad day, of whom he picked up between his sack-possets much loose gossip. He took his ordinary at a boiling cook's, and if he had but gotten into him a mess of broken victuals or a platter of tripes with a bare tester in his purse, he could always bring himself off with his tongue, some randy quip he had from a punk or what not, that every mother's son of them would burst their sides. The other, Costello, that is, hearing this talk, asked, was it poetry or a tale? Faith, no, he says, Frank, that was his name, tis all about carry cows that are to be butchered along of their plague. They can go hang, says he with a wink, for me with their bully beef, a pox on it. There's as good fish in this tin as ever came out of it, and very friendly he offered to take of some salty sprats that stood by which he had eyed 
Wishley in the meantime, and found the place which was indeed the chief design of his embassy, as he was sharp-set. Mort o vache, says Frank, then in the French language, that had been indentured to a brandy-shipper that has a wine-lodge in Bordeaux, and he spoke French like a gentleman, too. From a child this Frank had been a donut that his father, a headborough, who could ill keep him to school to learn his letters and the use of the globes, matriculated at the university to study the mechanics, but he took the bit between his teeth like a raw colt, and was more familiar with the justiciary and the parish beetle than with his volumes. One time he would be a play-actor, then a sutler or a welsher, then naught would keep him from the bare pit and the cocking mane. Then he was for the ocean sea, or to hoof it on the roads with the Romany folk, kidnapping a squire's heir by favor of moonlight, or fecking maid's linen, or choking chicken behind a hedge. He had been off as many times as a cat has lives, and back again with naked pockets, as many more to his father the headborough, who shed a pint of tears as often as he saw him. What, says Mr. Leopold, with his hands across, that was earnest to know the drift of it, will they slaughter all? I protest, I saw them, but this day morning going to the Liverpool boats, says he. I can scarce believe tis so bad, says he. And he had experience of the like brood beasts, and of springers, greasy hoggets, and weather wool, having been some years before actuary for Mr. Joseph Cuff, a worthy salesmaster that drove his trade for livestock and meadow auctions hard by Mr. Gavin Lowe's yard in Prussia Street. I question with you there, says he, more like tis the hoos or the timber-tongue. Mr. Stephen, a little moved, but very handsomely told him no such matter, and that he had dispatches from the Emperor's chief tail-tickler thanking him for the hospitality that was sending over Dr. Rinderpest, the best-quoted cow-catcher in all Muscovy, with a bolus or two of physic to take the bull by the horns. "'Come, come,' says Mr. Vincent, "'plain dealing.' He'll find himself on the horns of a dilemma if he meddles with a bull that's Irish, says he. Irish by name, and Irish by nature, says Mr. Stephen, and he sent the ale purling about, an Irish bull in an English china shop. I conceive you, says Mr. Dixon. It is that same bull that was sent to our island by Farmer Nicholas, the bravest cattle breeder of them all, with an emerald ring in his nose. "'True for you,' says Mr. Vincent, across the table, "'and a bull's-eye into the bargain,' says he, "'and a plumper and a portlier bull,' says he, "'never shit on shamrock. "'He had horns galore, a coat of cloth of gold, "'and a sweet smoky breath coming out of his nostrils, "'so that the women of our island, "'leaving dough-balls and rolling-pins, "'followed after him, hanging his bulliness in daisy-chains. "'What for that?' says Mr. Dixon, "'but before he came over, Farmer Nicholas, that was a eunuch, had him properly gelded by a college of doctors who were no better off than himself. So be off now, says he, and do all my cousin German the Lord Harry tells you, and take a farmer's blessing. And with that he slapped his posteriors very soundly. But the slap and the blessing stood him friend, says Mr. Vincent, for to make up he taught him a trick worth two of the other, so that maid, wife, abbess, and widow to this day affirm that they would rather any time of the month whisper in his ear in the dark of a cow-house, or get a lick on the nape from his long-holy tongue, than lie with the finest strapping young ravisher in the four fields of all Ireland. Another then put in his word. 
and they dressed him, says he, in a point shift and petticoat with a tippet and girdle and ruffles on his wrists, and clipped his forelock and rubbed him all over with spermacetic oil and built stables for him at every turn of the road with a gold manger in each full of the best hay in the market so that he could doss and dung to his heart's content. End of section 34 Recording by Richard Wallace, Liberty, Missouri, October 20th, 2010